Hey, we're back with another episode of Smoke Signals. We are getting close to the finish line on a lot of things. We are getting close to Major League Opening Day. We are, I feel like we're getting close to the end of the pandemic, to be honest. Uh, Some places are ready for the end now more than others, but uh, we don't have to talk about that. and we're almost at the end of our prospect list uh, for prospect rankings for 2021. But other than that, let's uh, let's get into some of the things that have been going on around spring training. I'm Justin Latta, and I'm joined again by Spencer Carlson. Spencer, welcome back to your second episode. You are now officially a member because you passed the test of episode one. I'm a recurring guest. Well, you're more than a recurring guest. You are a, now a regular contributor because you've had multiple pieces up on the site now, and, and you're invited back for a second podcast, so things are going pretty well for you. I'm going to have to put editor and co-host inside of my uh, Twitter bio here pretty soon. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's not get ahead <laughs> of ourselves here. Come on now. That's a real big change you make in this, the Twitter bio. That's, that's an official thing. You know, it used to be... When you were dating somebody, you were you were Facebook official. Now, if you have a title, you're, you have to make it official by changing your Twitter bio. I feel like that's the new thing because no, nobody our age is on Facebook anymore. Figured I'd uh, go straight to the top immediately and, <laughs> and skip over everybody else. You are a rising star, yes. Uh, before before we move on to um, back to getting into good stuff, I guess because we're starting off on good stuff, but. Uh, do want to pass along, you know, a, a message of our, you know, our thoughts to Joe Tate's family, Joe Tate, the legendary Cavaliers broadcaster, who passed away uh, a couple hours before recording this. So, uh, Joe Tate to me was definitely a legend. I met him once at a book signing and, and listened to him for years. Obviously, being a Cavs fan and uh, just one of those legends in Cleveland, Ohio. That if you were a sports fan or if you lived in Cleveland, you knew who he was and you were familiar with his voice and his work. Also. Uh, rest in peace to Michael Stanley, who passed away last week. Uh, I had a very, very small memory with Michael Stanley when I was an intern at night 2.3. Uh, I used to go refill parking meters as part of my intern duties because, you know, that's what interns do. They don't actually learn anything. They just they run small <laughs> errands for everybody. Been there, um, done that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to learn about being on the radio when you can go refill a parking meter? Um, but I would run into Michael Stanley outside when I would refill parking meters and uh he'd always say hello to me you know he, he, he asked me my name once and he remembered it forever so i thought that was super cool so um everyone had nice things to say about him and then i think we mentioned this a few episodes ago at least i did rest in peace to les levine who was also a uh cleveland sports media legend who i got to meet one time and a couple times at night 2.3 and was extremely gracious and just super cool to be around do you have any any thoughts any memories with any of them, Spencer? 100%. I actually met uh, Joe Tate when I was actually working with Joe Pete at ESPN 9700. He was super gracious to me. Uh, my dad, when he was, you know, even earlier than our age, uh, he had this 
radio in my grandparents' house, and he would listen to the Cavs game on the radio. And, you know, 30 years later, I was listening in the car with my dad, listening to Joe Tate do basketball games. And it's tough, man. You know, it's a part of your childhood and your teenage years. You listen to all those Cavs game, and, you know, he was so effortless in the way he called a game that he would never even need a commentator. Uh, he's one of those few people in the world that could do that. Yeah, he was super talented. I think he, I think he coined that terminology about left, you know, saying left or right in your radio dial. I never heard anybody, you know, talk about possession, especially during a basketball game like that. When you mentioned like left or right in your radio dial, that was like yeah. mind blowing to me. It's like a twelve year old. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Like I, I didn't even think about it, but uh, it just made so much sense. Yeah, he didn't need a broadcast partner. My my only regret for Joe, and I know he. Um, did not really enjoy the way the game basketball had become after he retired. But, man, I really wish Joe had been around for the Cavaliers championship because out of so many people, I think he deserved to be around for a championship. I know he was, you know, he got to see it, but, you know, it would have been great to hear him call it as well. That's, uh-huh. that's a 100%. The, I mean, you know, with how many pains as Cleveland fans we go through, we've been really blessed with, how good our radio hosts have been between, you know, Tom Hamilton with the Indians and Jim Donovan with the Browns and Joe Tate with the Cavs. You know, we grew up on those guys and those guys are all broadcasting Hall of Famers. So we we got the good ones. Yeah, we really have been blessed. I mean, even, even Michael Stan, Les Levine, we're talking about right now, too. I mean, those guys Incredible. were on the radio for Cleveland for years and they were just staples of people growing up on sports and music in Cleveland. And, and I can see, you can see by the tributes how many people they impacted. So a very sad day, a very sad start to 2021 for Cleveland, just losing those legends. Um, before we get into even more serious topics, uh, if you haven't been to Indians Baseball Insider recently, I encourage you to do so. If you're listening to this podcast, I assume that means you are a somewhat of a avid reader of our site. Um, today, March 10th, we got to prospects number 34 and 33 on the one-time top 70, now top 69 uh, prospect list. Uh, Nick Nikolajak and Sam Henches. So go check those out. We're uh, tomorrow, you know, we're getting past the top 30. We're getting into the top 20 soon. Uh, guy who pitched today in the Indian spring training game, Cal Quantrill, was today's player preview. Yesterday was Yu Chang, Mike Spencer, one of uh, Spencer's early picks for MVP of the 2021 season. And then actually every day, um, I thought this was important to do because we're going to talk about this later, but Arthur Kinney is, is doing a spring, around the farm spring training edition. If you don't know what around the farm is, it is an IBI staple where we take you around all aspects of the Indian's farm system and, and recap, you know, their stat lines and, and other things for game action that day, because there's no minor league games going on right now. Arthur's just picking up on the prospects that are getting into spring training games, but we are adding context to what these players are doing in spring training. So if Daniel Johnson's hitting home run, two home runs in a game like he did the other day, Arthur is also making note of who it came off of. So we can see if Daniel Johnson is, you know, hitting it off of a Cy Young winner, or if he's hitting it off of a guy who is going to bag groceries in a week. I think with, with all the talk everybody makes about, spring training stats, it is important to always add context to who players are facing in spring training. Even then, it doesn't mean anything, but it's always important context to add, I feel like. so. 100%. I think uh, one year, Jason Hayward 
which is not known for hitting 40 bombs in a year. I think he hit like nine or 10 home runs in spring training. And I think one was off a major leaguer. So spring training is very, you know, deceiving when it comes to the actual numbers. Yeah. And Cleveland as a team has had great different trains in the past and, and one step in the game is the regular season. So could be anything. So I don't really have much more to add than I mean, I, we haven't really discussed on the podcast. I've, I mentioned a few things on Twitter. I've been trying to not stay out of it, but I I'm, I'm torn on how much I really want to contribute to the Mickey Calloway conversation because you know, there, there are screenshots of text messages. There's pretty hard evidence out there. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the, you know, maybe, I mean, more sarcastic here, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say the athletics not going to report on subjects as serious as sexual harassment, the things Mickey Calloway is accused of doing, unless they have some cold, hard facts that they feel are going to hold up in whatever court, whether it's a real court or a court of public opinion. Uh, they're not going to just throw that out there without having some serious confirmations of this. And they do have screenshots to prove it. Um, but now the recent news is that some of his accusers are saying that Cleveland is not being truthful about what they knew about his transgressions. So um, the Indians originally had said they were not aware of, of his behavior in Cleveland that nobody had ever filed an official report about his behavior in Cleveland uh, through the proper channels. And the accusers are saying that statement was a little bit misleading. They're saying that basically the team knew about an affair Mickey Calloway was supposedly having um, and that female employees were told to stay away from him. Not, we don't know who by who, that's just the rumor. And that if they knew about his affair, that it's probable they knew that he was, you know, being sexually harassing women, whether it was reporters or, or you know, anybody else around the team. Um, that seems to be the belief that if they knew, if they were aware of the affair, they should have been aware of this because while it doesn't go hand in hand, it's probably running up the same channel. So. But their, their argument is that nobody ever filed an official report. I would just say it's possible they didn't know. I would say it's unlikely, though, that, that they didn't know something beyond the affair. And, and the affair is what it is. You know, it's it's a personal matter. It's, uh, it's not what I condone. Uh, it's not for me to judge. But um, sexual harassment is a whole different thing. And I can tell you it happens in baseball, among players, among coaches, uh, to women more than anybody knows, I, this all this stuff that's out is just such a tip of the iceberg. It really is. There's so much that goes on out there, and it's it's disgusting. And yeah, I, uh, you know, <laughs> when you when, when you just break down the Mickey Calloway situation, and you don't want to ever like truthfully dive deep into it unless all the facts do come out. He's a he's basically what you would call a disturbing human being, and you know we've read enough articles now to know how he's been for multiple years. So I think it's one of those things where we know exactly who he is. So it goes to the other parties, right? So it comes down to the Indians and the accusers and, you know, what they're saying is truthful. Uh, from my knowledge of what's been going on in baseball and with women reporters is usually uh, baseball is the one line and uh, the women are usually not lying. Uh, so, I mean, and it doesn't mean that's the case here, but it, I mean, 
at the same time, I don't think these stories are obviously fabricated considering that they're screenshots of text messages. And I think, I mean, the Ken Rosenthal report with Paul Dolan uh, is the most concerning for me because uh, it seems to be common theme with ownership, uh, like out of sight, out of mind until it becomes a PR nightmare. And then they backtrack it. Same thing happened with the logo and everything else. It was like, well, you know, we liked the team name and then everyone got mad at us and we said we did some soul searching and we've decided to change the name. Uh, you kind of read through that article today. They kind of say the same exact thing. They're like, well, we didn't do a good enough job. We need to do some soul searching. We'll be better at this in the future. So it's like getting caught in red handed saying, well, you know, maybe we didn't do such a good job. We'll be better in the future. And I think it goes all the way to the top. Uh, ownership has to take accountability for that. Uh, I don't think in the world of 2021 or 2016 or 2010, that uh, people within organization don't know about these things. They are together every single day for nine to 10 months. So they had to have known. Yeah, I would have to agree. You know, even if it's just, you know, not everything. There are, there are bits of information. And I, like rumors had to be out there. Like even if nobody, like I said, their argument is that nobody ever filed a complaint. So I guess legally there's some standing there. I'm not a lawyer, so don't take any advice from right. me. But um, I, I guess they can kind of, I'm not saying hide behind that, but they can say that's true maybe. Right. And I mean, there's a, as you say, there's the legal nightmare and then there's the PR nightmare. Can they, could you like hypothetically win the legal argument and still come out looking God awful? I think that's exactly what will happen here. Will anything happen to anybody? Probably not. Uh, but do the Indians look terrible for just like brushing it under the rug and saying, Oh, Hey, we had no idea, but we actually did. Absolutely. You look awful doing something like that. That just does not change, you know, what your perception would look like. You knew, you said you didn't know, but now it comes out that you did know. And you say, well, we'll take accountability now that we got caught red-handed. Just not a very good look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you're right. It's just, you know, same face, it's PR. Uh, definitely something needs to be addressed years ago. Like, this is, you know, a long time coming. Yeah, uh, uh, it's just not a – and I, I don't hate the harp on the subject. It's not been a good run of success. Uh, uh, after the World Series for Indians ownership uh, for a long time now. I mean, I can go on for multiple other scenarios of quotes that they've said, but uh, people are pretty sick and tired of when uh, a Dolan gives an interview. And I honestly try to be unbiased, but I don't blame them. I mean, you can't say, you know, you know, you're star players to enjoy them. I know you and I want to talk about the marketability of Francisco Lindor, but you can't say stuff like that, like a day before opening day when, you know, optimism is at its most uh, and you're trying to sell tickets, just shooting yourself in the foot, uh, you know, saying, well, you know, I actually like the team name, but I understand why you guys hate it. So I'll change it. Basically, you could kind of read between the lines with the stuff that the Cleveland Indians say and do. And it doesn't mean it's the Cleveland Indians organization as a whole. I mean, Chris Antonetti's amazing. A lot of people are amazing within this organization, but you have, and you can look at it with his, uh, whatever it is, his cousin brother with ownership with the Knicks. They've had the same exact problems up there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I would say things have been pretty tough since, the Yankees won game five of the 2017 ALDS. I feel like, I feel like since the comeback 
of game two of that in that series, you know, the grand slam and the walk-off hit by Jan Gomes. I feel like everything's I don't want to say everything, but I feel like things have certainly shifted well, <laughs> downhill and it's, it's been a hard recovery. You uh, know, I, mean, I hate the cut. The Shane Bieber did win the Cy Young last year. They keep developing Cy Young winners. Like, good things have happened. Good but. things have definitely happened. And I think that's definitely in spite of ownership. I like, I think we talked about this last podcast. Right. But when the players are sitting inside the dugout saying, well, which one of us is getting traded next? And they're kind of, like, laughing and joking about it. Not a good look for the organization. Uh, and I, kind of going a little bit off topic here. But when every time you and I text and basically say, hey, Paul Dolan gave another interview, and then the first, you know, answer is like an eye roll or something else. You know, we're in, you know, decently rough shape when it comes to ownership. And I think, you know, marketing your team for success of trying to get those ticket sales is not the best way when you shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, what came out in the athletic today on March 10th was just a copy of an email. He didn't really give a, a statement. I, right. It was just a copy. Still. Yeah, it's, but it's I mean, still, I mean he still looks terrible. Yeah, I mean, he's he stayed away from, from interviews, and I think that's understandable why, because uh, every time, the last couple times he's been out in front of, of, of a microphone or a voice recorder or whatever, uh, bad things have followed. So definitely, I think they just need to write a statement, have him re- read the statement or release that, and just, just call it off after that. But Agreed. Uh, we don't need to make this an ownership podcast. Um, before <laughs> we get to... So before we get to other other more fun topics, uh, Jose Ramirez and Fran Mill Reyes are in the week. Um, one guy, I think Fran Mill one got a haircut. Ramirez was with him, and they went out to dinner. They weren't wearing masks, um, so they were away from the team for a couple of days. They they were tested for COVID. They were both negative. They were back in the lineup today on March 10th. Um, I saw a lot of people get mad and you know, say a lot of things about how stupid they are and, and whatever. Um, it's funny how, what a difference a year can make. Like, right. yeah, they, they shouldn't be going and breaking protocol. Like, Hey, the team has a barber, first of all. Um, so I don't really know why. I mean, I know maybe there's a guy in Arizona, Frando really likes to get his haircut from whatever, but there's a team barber. Um, this, it goes back to the same thing. Like, I think I was more, more annoyed at the situation of Clevenger and Plisaki in 2020. 100%. Things were different at that point. Um, they were trying to get through a season. And things aren't any less severe now. I mean, either one of them easily could have gotten COVID and spread it to the rest of their teammates. Like, there's a very that could have happened. There's a huge difference between the Ramirez and Fran Mill situation and the uh, Clevenger Police Act situation. We were in a pretty heavy lockdown on that. And Clevenger and Police Act just like were pleading the fifth and saying, well, it's not my fault. And then, you know, let us live our lives and everything else. Jose and Framil just kind of like owned up to this. I mean, Framil's like, yeah, I'm on Instagram a lot. I shouldn't have posted a video getting my hair cut. I screwed up. I'm sorry. So there's just two different complete scenarios. I mean, that Zach Pleasock video was burned into my mind forever. And I wish it wasn't. <laughs> maybe, maybe the lesson here is. You don't have to film everything. Like you just don't have to put if you, everything you do in your day to day life. Like if you, I have never once nobody nobody cares about my hair or anything I do, but I have never once, you know, Instagrammed my haircut. Absolutely, that's, I don't know. Maybe yeah. people care about that. Maybe maybe that's a thing he's popular. Yeah, and know. if you're like in like please act situation, if you're gonna rant and blame it on everybody else, 
Don't do it while you're driving. You know, still not wearing a mask. Not wearing no. And not wearing a seatbelt and then just blaming the media. I mean, doubling down yeah. and tripling down and quadrupling down is just not something you'd necessarily want to do. And I know the team was pretty PO'd about that. But, you know, Jose and Framil kind of owned up to it. And, you know, we've been in this for basically a year now with this uh, COVID situation. And we're sort of seeing the end of the tunnel, uh, you know, hopefully with the vaccinations coming around the summer and we're all basically back to normal. But I mean, I'd be lying to you if I mean, so for myself, example, I run a cleaning company. I, I think we've all made the mistake of breaking protocol just a little bit. So, like, is it bad? Yes. Did they own up to it? Yes. It should be the end of the story there. Yeah, and they did. And I guess maybe it's a little less severe now. I mean, like I said, they could have had an outbreak if, if they would have wanted, would have, could have brought it back. That would have been bad. Right. Um, I, I think really it's, it, it, it's, it kind of matters more in principle at this point. Like, not to compare, you know, the situations. Things were different last July or August. But I think I remember in Chicago, Clevenger and Police Act were – they went to one of – because, you know, uh, Police Act's from Illinois – and I think they were like one of his friends, like houses or apartments. They look indoors, um, which, you know, it's not a good thing. Like it, on the scale of how, how things still work, you know, it's still not good to be inside around people you don't see right. every day. But um, I think, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I didn't see the Instagram post. I don't know if Reyes is wearing a haircut uh, while he was wearing a haircut. Well, he was wearing a mask while he was getting his haircut. I and mean, then I go get my haircut. I have to wear a mask. Right. So do I. Um, yeah, I also work from home, so I'm not going anywhere where I'm going to, you know, really spread it for anybody. But um, I haven't been – I personally, it, it doesn't matter the choices you make. Like, I have not been to a restaurant in over a year. I've done takeout, but I haven't been to a restaurant in over a year. Yeah, that uh, uh, that, DoorDash, that DoorDash bill is getting hefty uh, in, the, in, <laughs> right. in, in, in these parts. Right. Um, but, it, you know, it's the principle. If the rest of your teammates have to follow these rules for however much longer – so do you, and you can't be the, the asshole who, you know, thinks that they can, I'm not saying they are being assholes, but I'm just saying in general, like if all your teammates have to do it, don't be the one to go out there and break it. And then everybody else has an issue. I think that's part of the issue. I think that's what like Chris Colindor said a year ago. Like we all have to abide by this, this protocol 100%. To, like, and they broke it. And that's what everybody was pissed about. It's like, yeah, we don't want to be doing it too, but we are for, for everybody else's sake. We're following the rules because we don't want to make it tougher for anybody else. Like we're all of this together. Literally, that's how it's supposed to be. But yeah, I think absolutely. that's everybody else matter. Absolutely, man. It just matter. But, it just matter of being precautious at this point. But small mistake. Gladly, nothing happened. So I think uh, it's something that everyone yeah. should be able to move on from. They're not comparable situations. Yeah, oddly enough, like I said, maybe the time is just the yeah. Time the time, the timing is always different. different. Always different. Yeah. Yeah, so they were, they were back in the lineup. That seems to have blown over, which I'm not surprised by at this point. Maybe everybody kind of has COVID fatigue, too, which, you know, isn't a surprise. Um, so, speaking of them being back in the lineup, nothing I love more, Spencer, than talking about spring training stats. It is my favorite subject in baseball. I love, love talking about how, what a player is hitting in spring training and how many home runs they have because of all the things in the world that are relevant, nothing is more relevant than a 28 year old triple a quad a player hitting 500 in spring training. 
I think that is the most pertinent thing you could talk about. Yeah, man, it's basically the equivalent of who's going to be the backup left guard in the middle of April, like the Browns fans would like to talk about. But yeah, Springs rating oh. stats are, you know, completely useless. I think at the time being, you kind of look for who's facing who. I think that's all you can look for. So like if, you know, Ahmad Rosario goes out and, you know, hits a 92-mile-an-hour cutter from Verlander low and away out, yeah, that's something to look at in spring training. If um, Jake Bowers takes a single-A 70 ERA guy deep, pretty unavailably useless to us for the Major League roster. Right. <laughs> that's that's why I love baseball references, opponent quality score. That's why I mentioned it uh, with Arthur's daily recap of uh, how prospects are faring in spring training. Is It tells you – various kind of uh, levels of experience players have, have faced. So it's like 1 to 10 where 10 is major league quality and 1 is basically facing um, a pitcher, like the hitter's facing or the batter's facing the pitcher or whatever. Um, I think 1 to 3 is like a, a rookie or short season. So uh, if you've never checked out that stat, I think it's extremely important. I see a lot of people posting stats like, all right, like um, – that's a great example. Is, Gabriel Gabriel Arias. Gabriel Arias is was four for his first four. He's seven for eight with four RBIs. Um, that's great. Like that's great. He, he's doing good. But uh, baseball references quality opponent metric has him at a four point two, which is essentially the equivalent of facing somebody in high A, uh, right, or closer to low A. So. That doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not saying he's, you know, it's not a good thing he's doing great. Obviously, he'd rather do great than crappy. The thing to look at with Arias is he has no strikeouts. He has no walks. But he hasn't struck out yet for a guy who strikes out quite a bit. So that's a great thing. I mean, but I mean, I, I just, every day I keep seeing people posting like his stats, Ernie Clement, Bobby Bradley's, Yu right. Chang. And I'm just, Sam, that's great. They're doing great. But, you know, you're just, you're not giving out the context of who they're facing. And it really, it drives me up a wall, and maybe it's because of, of how strange 2020 was and everyone just wants to get back to, to enjoying things. And I, I want people to enjoy baseball, too. I really do, obviously. But just stop focusing on, on what a guy's stats are in spring training. It means absolutely nothing without context. And I, I don't know why this is driving me up a wall. Maybe at 32, I'm just getting old. But you are. For some reason. You are. I'm, 20, I'm 28. You are right. old, man. Great. Well, <laughs> fine. Get off my lawn. Stop tweeting about spring training stats. But you're going to add the context of who it came off of. Okay. There's my there's my lawn. Get off. Agreed. I, I'm 100% on your boat, <laughs> so I wouldn't be stressed out about that. At the same time, it is fun to see flashes from certain guys. I mean, Arius, uh, you know, is a pretty fun candidate, even though the Indians have 472 shortstops within the organization. That's a time, you know, another place, another topic I could talk about for an hour and a half. But, I mean, regardless if he's in single A or major league, you know, going seven for 11 is pretty impressive. So that's, you know, something you definitely can look at. But once again, you know, just like you said, it's the equivalent of facing, you know, high A ball. So we'll see how he does in minor leagues. My other big thing with spring training is the equivalence of, you know, sample size. The most plate appearances anybody has in a tribe is 14 plate appearances. That's one series in the season. That's one series. 
So, like, <laughs> you're just really not a sample size. You can do anything else because, you know, Jose Ramirez could go 7 for 12 versus the White Sox and then have an 0 for 27 stretch. The spring training just does not give you enough. This is just basically pitchers warming their arm up to get it ready for the season, trying some new stuff out, and letting the hitters swing their bat a little bit. You're obviously, each team has a couple of battles for position, but like we talked about last week, most of the time, most of the roster is set. Unless you absolutely just like, you know, you're hitting one for 21 in spring or your ERA is nine, it's pretty already much decided where you're going to be. Uh, it's basically on team need too, you know, kind of like what we'll talk about in a little bit with first base. Are you going to choose bat versus defense at first base? That's what's going to happen. Yeah, so. right. Yeah, uh, people and people just talking about how like no, no team decides their roster spots based on spring training stats. Yeah. Like nobody sits down and says, "Well, this guy had a great spring. Look at his numbers." He should be on the team. Like nobody does that. They look at they're they're looking at quality of opponents too. They're looking at velocity. They're looking at if a guy was able to hit a breaking pitch or if he looked very clueless against uh, hitting yeah. a breaking ball. They look at you know if he did he work the count. Is he swinging at everything? Like does he care? Any, anybody? Right. Do they carry themselves right? Do they do good in practice? There's so many variables inside of this where you don't realize like okay this dude went for two for three. It really doesn't matter. Because maybe that at bat he didn't get on base was his best at bat of the day because he drew eight pitches. It's really just not useful in the short sample size that spring training is. It's just not useful. It's as useful as basketball preseason games. It's as useful as a quarterback playing a drive in preseason. Preseason is literally what it is. It is just to get right. these people prepped for the regular season. You might have a couple position battles that get picked out of this but it's really mostly set in stone. Yeah, and I love that this is this is exactly how it's going. Like Bobby Bradley and Jake Bowers are battling for the first base job. Um, if you had to go on on how things have gone so far, I, I think it looks like Bobby Bradley right now. But again, it's 13, 14 plate appearances. I love that Bobby Bradley though has four hits, and it's two homers and two strike and two doubles. Yes, yeah, that's Bobby so, Bradley. And yeah, he's got 13 points. He's got four hits, and they're they're all extra base hits. Meanwhile, Jake Bowers is is one for ten, and then it's single. And so, not, again, not to say that because honestly, look, here, here's the, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say I was going to point out on the other side of things. Bobby Bradley has two strikeouts, no walks, which I think matters more here. Right. And Jake Bowers has four strikeouts, but he also has four walks. So right. this is exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about. Some context here. And so it's literally got – I don't even know if this comes down to who's the better player because if they both got 600 plate appearances, who knows. But if you're looking for that boom, you know, material down at the bottom of the lineup, that, you know, wow factor, those home runs, that everything, it's definitely going to be Bobby Bradley. If you're looking for, like, that old money ball, uh, get on base and play good defense but not really do anything else that adds value to the team, it's going to be Jake Bowers. Here's the thing with Jake Bowers right now, and I'm nervous that he would win the job even though he only has one hit, but he does have those four walks, is straight up he is out of options. So I don't think they want to give up on him in the Yandy Diaz trade and just call it a complete failure. I really don't. And But at the same time, they've always wanted for years to get a long look at Bobby Bradley. Uh, so – 
I'm most interested in this position. I mean, both uh, position battles, but I think it's just going to come down to what are the Indians going to choose? Are they going to choose on base percentage and defense? Or are they going to choose home runs and RBIs? I don't know. I guess it depends on, on the value. I mean, I think at the end of the day, Bowers and Bradley both end up getting to the same point value wise. It's just they're going to get their different ways. Exactly. That's my whole point is like, you know, they are two complete opposite players. But when you – like if if they both got 600 plate appearances, I bet their war would be very similar, but they would get there completely different ways, like complete opposite ways. They are, you know, yin and yang. You know, uh, you know that Jake Bowers is literally see pitches, get an occasional hit, hit nine home runs, 45 RBIs, but play stellar defense. Uh, you know, down in Tampa, they loved him at first base. They said basically they could just throw the ball over there and they know he had it. But then you have Bobby Bradley who will hit 27 bombs, 470 feet, but strike out 150 time on curveballs and, you know, not play defense. So it's literally going to come down to what do they prefer? And I think at this point, they're going to choose the boom potential. Just, I mean, even Bobby Bradley's other double is off the wall. So, I mean, two, there's almost three home runs, nine RBIs. You really can't shy away from any of that. And his strikeout totals aren't terrible, even with a small sample size. But it comes down to basically, can he hit the breaking ball for a whole season at the major league level? I, I have no idea, man. I don't know. Well, I think it comes down to I, – I don't know either. I, I, I have my doubts. I really do. Um, you know, getting – I mean, he obviously – Bobby Bradley's in great shape. He talked about, you know, you know, all the work he's done on his body and that's great. I don't know if that really translates to swinging and missing less. That's more of a mechanics thing, but maybe he feels like with a leaner body, he's quicker and can adjust his mechanics faster. I don't know. Uh, this is why I'm not a coach. Um, but I think it comes down to who's, who's a better fit. Like if, if, if you go with Bobby Bradley, you know, you have Josh Taylor in the outfield, right? So, if if Bobby Bradley needs a day off or he gets hurt, you have Josh Taylor to move down to first base. And it's not like this team doesn't have a plethora of outfielders. Maybe they're not great outfielders, but they have a ton of them. Um, they don't have to worry about replacing him either. Jake Bowers is a, could be an extra outfielder, but do you really need the extra outfielder? Like, he can play the outfield if, he, if he's not playing first. But, you know, do you really need that? And like you said, do they really want to lose, you know, quote-unquote lose the, the Yandy Diaz trade? Like, I think at this point, really, who cares? Like, yeah, if you if you DFA Bowers, if you try to pass him through waivers, AAA, probably someone's going to claim him. I don't, I don't think he's going to get through on claims. Somebody asked me the other day, too, if if he had any trade value. And I said, there's, there's no way because they know that if he doesn't make the team, Cleveland's just got to pass him through. So, yeah, somebody will claim him just because he's a – He's a former top 100 prospect, and like you said, he can play outfield and first base pretty well, and he's got some hit ability. But I, I think I think Bradley's the better fit for the team. You don't have to worry about Bowers. Like you don't have to worry about this being an Aguilar thing where, right? You know, oh, do they right. not? Do they not? Yeah. Bowers not. I know he only had. I know he's still young. I know it was just one season. I know he didn't play last year, but they gave they gave Bowers a lot of run in 2019, and it didn't work. Right. And, Right, I would say it's, it's at least time to, to see what he can it's do. It's definitely going to come down to the 162 game effort too, um, which has mm-hmm. has been the ups and downs in his career with Cleveland. Because I know that they believe he has the talent 
and they think he has the ability to be a good player. Uh, he has to put that work in, and he was a top 100 prospect. But at the same time, I don't think you're ever going to like have that Jesus Aguilar thing, like you said. Uh, you know, if he goes somewhere else and succeeds, you know, it could just honestly be 245, 10 bombs, good defense, bottom of the order type of player. And a lot of teams need that, but I don't think the Indians necessarily need him. I think that it's just a, a relationship not meant to last for a long time. We'll see how that goes. So far, I mean, more of the noise, I would say, is coming from Bradley, but that's, you know, it's home runs versus walks. So right. Who, who will find out? And I, I would say that it's the same thing, too, with Andre Simenez and, and Ahmad Rosario. Um, I think both are having pretty fair springs in terms of just how things look. I mean, they're, they're both having good at-bats. They're both playing good shortstop. Um, as it sounds like, they're both kind of facing close to the same quality of competition. Yeah. I don't really, I really don't know where this one goes. Like it almost, it feels like Jimenez is having the louder spring so far. <clears throat> but again, he has two home runs, so of course that's going to make it sound louder. Like you're going to remember the home runs, and right. that's something that you need to just take out of your mind. And I know right. you know fans and everybody else can't see every game, and there's not a lot of coverage because of COVID. But um, I, I really, at this point, don't know where this one's going to go. I I think that's how I saw. I, I think I think Mandy Bell from MLB.com did her second spring training or her, her second uh, roster projection yeah. for MLB.com. Yeah. I think she had, I think she had Ahmed Rosario in the outfield. Yep. And I, I think that's, I, 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 I think that's a good idea, but he hasn't played in the outfield yet this spring. So, and, and he only has like one career inning in the outfield. So if that's going to be an option, they've got to start figuring that out soon because you can't just get to the end of spring training and be like, Oh, you're going to play the outfield, and you didn't play outfield all spring. Like, that, right. I, I think that's the way it should go, but I, it doesn't seem to be right now what they've done to this point. So I, I really don't know where this battle's going to go. I, I I feel like they're going to wind up gaming him as a service time. Right. Um, Which is, but maybe not. They, some of the comments make it seem like they do. They are very impressed with him. Well, I mean, the thing with uh, Jimenez and Rosario uh, and their differences, they both hit. Amazing so far this spring. Uh, Jimenez is a dude. And not only is he a dude, but he is a superior defender to Rosario. Mm-hmm. And he's younger. So it's just you start putting all those things together. Yeah, you could start manipulating time. Uh, but I don't think it would be long due for staying down. He'd come up probably pretty quickly if Rosario struggled. Uh, I do hypothetically see the Indians rotating off days throughout the whole team and letting Rosario play multiple positions to use him specifically as trade bait. If they're in contention, I think that might be one of their goals. Is it concerning that he's not played other positions a hundred percent, but we also just saw, you know, other parts of other seasons where guys basically just get plugged in and start playing a position that they weren't supposed to play. I mean, Jose Ramirez was not a left fielder, man. He wasn't. And he played left field for a while <laughs> um santana played in the outfield and third base and first base and catcher the indians will find at bats for rosario i think uh so i think they're both destined for this team i don't think you could just hide if he keeps playing the way he's in spring you can't hide him uh you know if you're hitting 400 playing stellar defense and actually hitting extra bases and you have pretty similar quality of opponent i don't think you can send that down yeah, I think 
I think as long as Rosario was on the roster, like there was talk about, you know, other teams being interested in trading for him before spring training started, and that's died down. You know, maybe somebody has an injury to it. their shortstop by the end of spring and they need him. Right. Somebody somebody cuts one and they, they decide to get a shortstop. Maybe that could still happen. But, you know, you traded for both of them. And it's not like Rosario is not a good player. He's a good player. He was a, a, a top – right, he's a former top 100 prospect, I think. And a lot of, I think a lot of outlets had him somewhere in the top 10 overall in baseball at one point. So this guy was a good prospect not long ago. And because you have both of them, I feel like they both need to play. So, so my- <laughs> is it, would, it, would, it be harder for, would it be harder for them to, to move Rosario to a utility role where he can kind of be that – everyone wants to point to Ben Zobris. I don't want to keep pointing right. Ben Zobris. But, so, um- but having that kind of – I feel like they both need to play, though. Like they – you want to see what they can both do and then make a decision. I mean, like you said, Jimenez is younger. I think Jimenez is a better player at this point. But you want to be able to see both play and because what what happens if they're both good and, and you, you don't have room for both of them? Well, that's a great problem to have because you can trade one of them. Like That's why it makes no sense to not play both, but they have to find spaces for them to play and not bats. Right, and I think I listened to another podcast – and these guys have both played so well, and they're a value part of a Francisco Lindor trade we've talked about for years, so we want to see how good these guys are. Was it necessary to sign Cesar Hernandez? But at the same time, he won a gold glove, and he's hitting 300 this spring also. So the Indians are not bad at fighting. But we don't care about that, Spencer. We don't care <laughs> I know about what hitting this point. I know okay. we don't, but he's still hitting. It's it's not like he hasn't got his bat off his shoulders. He's still hitting. And he hit last year, and he played stellar defense. The Indians are – if, if baseball consisted of just having middle infielders and starting pitchers, we would have not lost a World Series for seven years. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, outfield, bullpen – you know, all those other positions exist. It just sucks, man, because I know we haven't even got into Yu Chang yet, but he's he's in purgatory right now also. Yeah. You know what though? Yu Chang Yu Chang had a good summer camp last year too, right. that weird spring training two point oh. And he never played. So I'm not gonna knock him for not playing last year. That's not his fault that the Indians never played him. Um, I, I don't personally think that Chang is, is an everyday player. I don't either. We, Rosario at one point was and still could be. Yes, I still think signing Hernandez was a good thing because I think Hernandez is probably better than Rosario. At least there's more reliability. I think, you know, if they want, if they wanted to keep saying that they they want to compete this year, then you can better serve that by having – Hernandez at second, and then one of those two guys at shortstop because your floor is much higher doing that. I, so, I mean, the Cesar Hernandez thing is fine by me, and if things go wrong this year, you just trade him and right. get something for him. But right. Um, I just want to see... I, I don't see a him. I don't. I, I want to see Jimenez and Cesar Hernandez turning double plays. That's all I want to see. So, uh, if I get that... If yeah, I, get, I don't if think I get that at some, If I get that at some point this season, then I will be completely happy. But... Like I said, man, they have a plethora of currently major league level ready middle infielders, and they have a boatload who are very good prospects also down in the minors through all the ranks. And what happens to people like 
you know, Yu Chang. Yu Chang isn't an everyday player, and he's never going to wow with stats either. But he could have very similar numbers to his last full season in in uh, in Triple A. He could fill that super utility role. That guy can hit. He, can't, he won't hit for a ton of power, but he can hit. You know, he can hit 250. He can hit 260 and play okay baseball. He's never going to get that chance, man. I mean, there's Mike Freeman, who's probably going to get that veteran leadership role in the middle infield. He's probably going to get it. These are guys who end up out in no man's land. Who, I mean, it's kind of going to happen to Jake Bowers too, but it's kind of his own fault. These guys are going to end up in no, uh, no man's land and never really get their shot, at least with this organization. I mean, they'll end up, uh, you know, at, you know, like a Rangers organization or like a Tigers organization in a rebuild mode who really need just that depth. And they could have that good season like Jesus Aguilar had in Milwaukee or like when the Yankees were bad and they picked up, you know, uh, God, why is his name? for? Why am I forgetting his name? Yeah, Urshela. That's after after the after the Blue Jays. Yeah, and that's the thing is, man, it's like when teams have a heavy amount of talent in one area and they don't have a use for you at that specific spot spot, you know, they go to a, a kind of team that doesn't really have uh, depth at that position. And then they become very good major league baseball players. I mean, Jesus Aguilar turned into a good major league baseball player. So did Yandy Diaz. So did uh, Urshela. Urshela. Yeah. Those guys all turned into major league quality players. And I can remember all those guys, not having the at bats here, and that can definitely happen again. So okay. I would, I would disagree on Urshela. I, I said, I said this a lot. Urshela did play a lot here. I, I think it was like four hundred. I think it was like four hundred at bats. I mean, that's pretty much similar to what Jake Bowers got. Well, he he played the whole second half of twenty. I want to say twenty fifteen, uh-huh. and I think he played a really good chunk of twenty seventeen after Jason Kipnis got hurt. So. Let me see how many at bats he had with Cleveland. He had he had four hundred fifty three at bats over one two seasons. So he played. Yeah, exactly. He had a Jake Bowers run with the team. So you really didn't know. I always say, and uh, this used to be like a staple back in the day. You don't know about a guy on your team until he gets a thousand at bats. You can't qualify something off six hundred at bats because if we did, we wouldn't know about a lot of major league baseball players today because Christian Yelich would just not exist. I mean, I agree, but. Again, like like he had forty six plate appearances with Toronto, okay, and they got rid of him, so Toronto. they must have not. Honestly, that's a Toronto problem. They, I mean, he shouldn't have got forty six at bats. But I know we gave him four hundred here, but I feel like he deserved more. But it's one of those things. Right. It's like you get log jammed, and then you don't have the at bats for the person. They end up being good baseball players because you scout right, but they just don't destined for this team. And it always seems like it's in the infield or you know in pitching. It's never. Never in the outfield. It never goes. Oh wow, we got rid of this outfielder and he became good. That never happens. Right. I mean, okay. Like what Diaz has done in the major leagues, he did in the minors. What what Jesus Aguilar has done in the majors, he also did in the minors. Right. What Hugh Rochelle has done with the Yankees, he never did in the minors here. So I I I don't think that they messed that one up. I think if if you really want to. If you really want to point to anything, I, I've made this argument so many times. I'm tired of talking about it. But if you want to point to one thing, is that the Yankees found a way to tweak his swing 100%. and unlock real talent. It's not. It's not. It's not the fact they they missed on. Oh, we just didn't play him, and he went somewhere else and was great. No, they didn't provide the right coaching. 
coaching, right? That that's the knock. It's not the playing time. It's the coaching with with Urshela. So I don't think that's the case with Chang either. I think. So, but like, let me ask you. I'm they have better options. They do. Since since we're talking about this, we could wrap it up on this part here in a second. But you know, you and I both know that how many good shortstop options there are in this organization throughout the ranks. How many of these guys who are very good hitters, or even like Nolan Jones, who's technically qualified as a third baseman, how many of these guys end up staying at their natural position or just never get a shot with Indians? I mean, we could probably name what five shortstops, four shortstops. Right, but who who are you gonna play like today or next year? Over you, you can't. But like, what right. if what if you play Chang Ramirez or Hernandez or or uh, Jimenez or Ahmed Rosario? I'm sorry, all those guys. That's the problem. Are, so are more talented. Than so Jimenez is 23 right now, and Gabriel Arias is 22. Let's say Jimenez ends up being uh, Francisco Lindor copycat, but then Gabriel Arias ends up being really dang good too. And they are both fantastic shortstops. You know, this is what happens when, and you know, I, most major league teams draft this way. They draft a crap ton of shortstops, but the, the, these guys end up staying there and then they should probably get trained in another position. Like I'm looking at the roster right now and I just see shortstop galore of some of our top prospects. I mean, Nolan Jones is probably destined for the outfield, don't you think? And then like, Arias is a shortstop. What I'm trying to think, what is Tyler Freeman a shortstop? Yeah, Tyler Freeman's a shortstop. Uh, he could be, but he could be a second baseman it, at some exactly. point. Exactly. So, but here's the thing: is, is you have Rosario, and is he destined long term for this organization? And there's a lot of questions. Of I think they have so much depth in the middle infield. I think they kind of hurt themselves. Well, if you could move those guys, like you can move someone to the outfield, they you move someone to. to second base. They have, like, to. they have to. Gabriel Arias can play third after, you know, if Jose Ramirez is gone after his contract expires, uh, somebody could play third base. Like, uh, Gabriel Arias is a great, could be a great shortstop, but he's got enough arm to play third base. You know, you, you can still move these guys around. So I'm not, I'm not as worried about that. And I don't know. The problem is you have to trade them. If you're going to, if you're not going to play them, you've got to trade them before, they get to the point where Chang and, and Bowers are at. I don't think Chang – it's not like, you know, Chang's had, I don't know, 60, 70, 100 – He's literally had – plate he's appearances. Had, that's, that's 100 plate appearances, I think. Yeah. it's not, But it's not like Scout saw the 100 plate appearances in the majors. Like, well, you know. No. He is what he is, or he's different than the minors. Like, they, they're still going to go off of what he did in the minors. Right. But, but you have – before they get to this age 26 thing where – they're almost out of options. They've got nowhere else to go. And teams are like, all right, well, we'll just wait till you DFA him or we'll give you, you know, signing bonus money or cash. Like, if you if you feel like you have this depth, make that move before they get to that point and cash down that value. That's the problem. Like, at one point, probably Yu Chang had more value to in a trade than he does now. Uh-huh. But now he really doesn't, yep. and couldn't agree more. This is, you know, I don't want to turn the crap on Yu Chang podcast because I, I like Yu Chang. He's a he's a good guy, and he's he's a he's a, a, a solid. Guy. He, I think he's a major league he's player. He's a super utility, think, is what he is. He's literally going to be a super utility right. for someone, right? And that could, and you know that could work on Cleveland. Like the problem is it's roster construction, and this is what happened. This is the same thing that happened last year. 
This is the same thing that happens every yep. year since Lindor and Ramirez were here. Okay, Jose Ramirez plays pretty much all season. Yep. Francisco Lindor never wants to come out of the lineup. And Cesar Hernandez, <laughs> excuse me, the same thing. Cesar Hernandez has always had a reputation for playing pretty much every day. Yep. So it's fine if you have these guys in this roster, roster flexibility where, okay, this guy is going to play 120 games, this guy is going to play 130, and we have a guy like Yu Chang who could get into 100 games and get 300 plate appearances by, by mixing and mashing and doing that way and moving guys to DH. But the problem is Cleveland doesn't have the roster flexibility. And, they and don't. They, that's, that's my whole point here. is they don't have the roster flexibility to have, uh, you know, 10, 11 shortstops, you- 10 or 11 shortstops, even no matter the age, to float around a bunch of other positions or not really get their shot. And then you say, like, they, they're 26, 27 years old, and then they're, they're just – they're done with the organization. They're in what I call purgatory. They don't have a spot. Right. And then they don't have value in trade either because they're a 27-year-old in AAA with 100 at-bats. So yeah, you, you've got to you've got to have the, the. I don't know if that's necessarily an organizational philosophy, but like, they. I mean, obviously in twenty twenty one, Cleveland can't afford to give Jose Ramirez days off because he is going to have to carry a large offensive load on his yep. shoulders. So it's not like they can they can't really say we're only going to play one hundred forty games. You know, you have to rest. You have to DH 10, 10 games at least. You have to rest. No. Right. They've got to get his that lineup. He's got to get 600 plate appearances, and they've got to be good ones. So you can't really afford to do that. So, yeah, it's just – again, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think the problem is signing Cesar Hernandez. I think the problem is not maintaining the flexibility to rotate in and out. Like, like Fran Mill Reyes is a nice piece, but having Fran Mill Reyes means – you really lose that roster flexibility and he's going to DH 150 games yep. a year and give guys quasi days off. And you can't, you can't use your roster effectively. Like with Cleveland, this is, and this goes back a long way. A long like, way. If you're not going to, if you're not going to spend $120 million even, okay. We're, we're not talking 200 million. We're talking 120 million. If you're not going to spend 120 million, you have to use every roster spot you have and maximize your, your yeah. roster. You have to get every everything out of everybody in that roster. That means the last guy out of that bullpen has to have more value than than other guys last guy out of the bullpen. And same with the bench. Like like Mike Freeman might be fine on the Yankees or something. You know what I mean? Like where it doesn't really matter. But on Cleveland, the Michael Martinez argument, like the Michael Martinez thing. When you're a team that doesn't spend a lot, you have to win at the margins. Having Michael Martinez doesn't do crap for 100%. you. You have to have you have to use that roster spot on a guy who can play on a moment's notice and step in and not be a major downgrade. And I'm sorry, Michael Martinez was. Mike Freeman is a major downgrade. Yu Chang is probably less of a downgrade, but they just don't want to. They don't want to use that roster spot that way, and and. and like I said, because of Ramirez, because of Hernandez, they probably can't. Yeah, and it's it, it's know. been it's, it's yeah one, only ten more seconds on it, but it's been an organizational thing for a long time. And you can just go through the prospect rankings right now, but they're just they've always been so good at scouting and trading and finding potential in the middle infield, and then they have a plethora of it. But then it just doesn't equate to success on the field because they can't do that same thing in the outfield, and then they're turning lifelong 
infielders into outfielders and then they're, you know, rotating platoon positions and everything else. They just don't build a stable roster. You say, okay, well, this guy, we drafted a shortstop at 19, but we're going to play him in left field immediately. No, they play him in shortstop till he's 26. And then they say, Hey, how do you feel about playing a different position? And you know, that's where Nolan Jones is at. I mean, he's third base, you know, for a long time, he's going to go out to the outfield at some point, go play first base maybe. Uh, And you look at the depth in the infield, throughout the organization at all the levels, it just doesn't equate the same success in the outfield. I mean, we're basically excited to see Daniel Johnson. That's about all I'm excited for out in the outfield these days. Uh, you know, down in the bottom parts of the organization, like triple A, double A, and single A, uh, Will Benson's okay. Uh, you saw his four home run games. That was cool, I guess. Um, George, I love George. George, my guy. That's about it, man. They just don't – they don't equate that same organizational success that they have with starting pitchers and infielders with outfielders. And it's been going on since you and I were probably in middle school, man. Well, I think eventually some of those infielders move to the alpha. That's the thing. Like, you can you can reasonably say you can move one of those guys to the alpha. I, and I expect that to happen. You know, Nolan Jones is already in a, is going to be an outfielder probably. So coming from a guy who's played – so I pitched my whole life, and then when I got out of high school, when I was playing travel ball, I got moved to the outfield. The hardest part about playing those positions, timing major league routes on balls is one of the hardest things to do in baseball. Being a good outfielder is very, very hard. Very, very hard. Yeah, it's baseball. Baseball's baseball That's, aside from skating shooting baseball's a hard the one of the hardest so sports. you have to hard. make that you have to basically make the assumption when you draft the guy i think personally as an organization is if you know you're drafting him as a shortstop and you think he's going to put on weight and he's going to be a left fielder one day you have to start that as quick as possible and i don't think they ever do that i think they wait until the guy is well, i think they wait till the guy is 25 and then say hey we don't have a spot at shortstop for you let's see if we, you can go play left field there's some guys they've done that with, and there's other guys they have moved around. But there's also the argument of maintaining positional value. You know, you, you don't want to move a guy off position too much because if he gets the reps and improves and he stays at a position of value, you know, short slot and third uh, base, probably more valuable. Than yeah, well, I mean, obviously with defense, it's one thing. Where did the Cleveland outfield offense stand at positional value at the end of last season? Well, so. I've, I'm not. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying you're talking about trades here. You're not talking about your own team. You're talking about like, yeah, Tyler Freeman probably should be playing second base in the minors. He has some, but he's mostly been a shortstop. But if they ever want to trade him, he's more valuable as a shortstop than a second baseman. So if he continues to get those reps and improve, he has more value right. in trades. If he can. right, but that's that, a, that's, that's a other. hypothetical trade that could never happen. So you're putting right, but they still plan for that. Yeah, you still have to keep that in your back pocket. I, I think. I mean, first of all, I think the Indians are very good at developing talent. I just think they missed the mark on overloading with infield talent that they're very good at drafting and don't really spend their time in other areas. Maybe I could be completely wrong. I'm not inside the building, but I know from the value that they put out on the roster every year in the outfield and by all the first round draft picks in the outfield that have been misses that they really don't know what they're doing when it comes to getting those outfielders. I mean, Zimmer is turning 30 years old. He's been a miss. Tyler Naquin was a miss. Uh, Trevor Crow was a miss. Trevor Crow, Trevor Crow was a miss. 
<laughs> I could keep going. Will yeah. Benson, I don't think, is going to be a major league outfielder. Yeah, I have I have issues. I love Will Benson, but I, I definitely have concerns. So that's four, I mean, that's four I first think... round outfielders in the last what 10, 15 years that I've just named. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they traded Clint. I guess they missed it. I mean they got they hit on Clint Frazier, they just had to trade him. So yep. that's about the only one. So. Um Yeah. I they I think they they can. I think they're. I, I. I don't mind the positional issue as long as they have plans to move guys around and they can take advantage of it. We're going to see how it works out, honestly, because they've got a lot of decisions to make. They have. I. I, I really want to know where all these guys are going to play this year, especially because now we. Since the last time we talked, we found out that the minor league season is being pushed back right. to May. I hope that's part of back as it goes, but we'll Agreed. see. That's things. That's the other thing too is is some of these guys we talked about tonight, like. For the month of April, they're going to go to Columbus if they don't make the team, and they're going to just do the same thing they did a year ago. They're going to hit against their own pitchers. They're going to play sim games, and that's not good for anybody, especially doing it the second year in a row. So that that makes a big difference too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I don't think, I don't think it's good for probably Bobby Bradley to do it again. It's not good for Yu Chang to do it again. A lot of those guys. I don't know. I don't know who. It definitely doesn't benefit on the Rosario because he's already been the majors for a couple of years. So. I wonder if that factors into it, too. Um, Speaking of outfielders, I totally missed this. This is just a footnote, and I want to end on the one topic we talked about. But uh, Jordan Luplo, it blew my mind. He has not been in the spring training game yet this year. He, like, did something to his ankle. That's not great. uh, Coming into King. Yeah, he hasn't played yet. So I I didn't didn't realize he hasn't been in the lineup yet. But, yeah, he hasn't even had registered in the back. So something to keep an eye on because I think he was pretty much written in pen – to make the team as the you know, as the right. left-handed national, right. there's no shock there. So his injury could change things. So we'll see what yeah. happens. Um, the last thing I want to mention, I don't want to. We don't have to go super deep because we went deep on a lot of other stuff I didn't plan for. But um, when spring training opened up, this kind of peeved me. I, I think we both had not differing opinions on it, but you brought up a different point of view. I think a lot of people conflated Francisco Lindor as kind of the Indians, Michael Jordan. Like just just based on the reaction, this is a national, this is not a local scope. This is a national scope and national media doesn't give a crap about Cleveland. Let's be honest. We know this. 100%. Okay. But I, it struck me as annoying that, or, or not annoying, but it was, I guess, annoying. Everyone's like, oh, they lost Lindor. Their franchise is totally blown up. They can't do anything. And it's like, are they are they better with Lindor than without? Yeah, they're better with Lindor. There's, he's a great player. But it's baseball. You know, we see what's going on in L.A. with Mike Trout. I mean, if you if you, you saw a text message I sent you, his, his spring training picture from 2011 to now, the guy looks depressed because he knows he's on a team that that has given him crap to work with, and they suck, even though he's the best player in baseball. <clears throat> Francisco Lindor doesn't make the team. Like It's not like losing Lindor means they're going to go from 90 wins to 69. Okay, like, yeah, they, they, they moved Carlos Carrasco. They've, they've moved – they lost Carlos Santana. They've moved other guys in the years past. They traded Clevenger or Bauer or Kluber. But, like, the Indians won 35 games last year, okay? That was a uh, – Equivalent to what ninety three wins, I think. Yeah, on that pace, they were 90- okay. They're not going to go from ninety three wins to 
65 wins because they traded Francisco Lindor. And I really feel like the national narrative has been that. Like, I feel like the national narrative suggests that Cleveland just is decimated without Lindor. And while they're not going to be as good without him, um, A, they've been the same team for like five years now. They've been a, a 90, they've been like an 87 to 95, you know, say for the 22 game winning streak. They've been like an 85 to 97 win team since he's come up. Okay. The attendance never got really better with, with him. Like the attendance went from, I don't know, 28th, 23rd. I think they, they the year they signed Edwin, 2017. Yeah, I mean, the attendance went from 20, they, they roughly went from about 20k a game to 25 a game, which is I understand it, right. which I understand is not significant in the matter of the rankings, but it's significant in selling 5,000 more tickets a game. Yeah, the, the utility of that matters. I agree, the margins matter, but I don't know. I I just thought it was really annoying to see the the narrative be like people just paint. And maybe maybe Cleveland's done this themselves. Maybe they've maybe they've brought some themselves with with how they've handled this stuff over the years. But There's, they certainly lost the P, they they lose every PR war. Let's be honest. They do. But I don't know. I just I get I get annoyed that everyone thinks that because Lindor's gone that there's no reason to watch this team and they're going to be terrible and not going to compete. Maybe they won't compete. But it, I think it comes I, down to I I want I, I want I, I, I just want to understand. How in baseball people still think that one player makes a team? Like it's not Michael Jordan. There's no. It's it's not five players. You know, you need all twenty five guys to win. So I don't know. I, I want to know why, how that narrative gets passed out there, considering what we know about baseball versus other teams. Uh, yeah, and I, absolutely. And you know, Lindor, you could just obviously just go off war and say, hey, like this isn't equivalent to thirty two more losses. Hundred percent right on that aspect you know there is always that opposing viewpoint it co- doesn't come down to the competitive partners it comes down to face a franchise does anybody give a crap about cleveland no you already said it no one gives a crap about cleveland and that's okay we're a small market we're the kansas city tampa's oakland's of the world we always have been always will be i think it comes down to two things uh your marketability and keeping good faith within your fans uh, they've done a poor job at that and reputation. They've done a poor job at that. Have they been successful ever since uh, Tito has got here? And, you know, uh, you know, they've been able to keep salvaging 90 win seasons, a hundred percent, but a casual fan, man, will find a player that they love and they will be excited to go to the game. Like I want to take my three-year-old this year. I'm not going to pick him a favorite player, man. And why is that? Why do you think I wouldn't pick him a favorite player who's going to be an all-star? Is he destined for this team for a 10-year contract? No. It's Fernando Tatis is going to be in San Diego for a long time. Francisco Lindor was not here for a long time. He was here for a cup of coffee. He is still young, man. He's still young. So it comes down to, okay, well, you know, we've traded Cliff Lee and we traded CC Sabathia and we let Jim Tomey walk for that extra year and Manny went to Boston They've done it for a long time. And some of that, yes, is, you know, some Dick Jacobs pockets, but a lot of that's been Paul Dolan and the Dolan family. Uh, No one has stayed here a long time. The longest tenured I know is Carlos Santana. So you're not putting a lot of good faith uh, with your major league fan base coming to games when the faces that they're rooting for and fall in love with are not there for a long time. Those are people they want to see 
retire in Cleveland and have their name up in the banner someday. Do you think Lindor will have his jersey retired in Cleveland if he becomes a Hall of Famer? No. Exactly. There's my whole point. That's my. I could literally just end the conversation right there. If he has 10 good years with the Mets, man, that Cleveland thing is going to be a blip on his radar. And that is the whole point of the marketability. There's no quantifying science or mathematical st- stat that'll show competitiveness versus marketability. And you can basically come down to, you know, the face of the all-star game and getting ESPN Sunday night games and going to Puerto Rico. Those were all kind of manifested because you had a face like Francisco Lindor's. You have new balance cleat deals, new balance shirt deals. These are all things that like when Ken Griffey was in Seattle, they had, they haven't done crap since man. So, yeah, you can still be successful on the field and still be a pretty average ball club. But when it comes to the marketability, which baseball already has a bad part and standpoint in, you don't want to be in last place in that. And Cleveland's pretty low in the rank on the PR standpoint just from being a small market. But ownership also has the reputation for not keeping players we love. So that's the opposing argument of it. Uh, Do I think Lindor causes us to lose like 32 games like a – Someone on Twitter would say, no, absolutely not, dude. I'm 100% on your point. Does this team go from like 92 to 87 wins without him? 100%, probably somewhere around that that area. So it doesn't equate to the competitiveness and the win and loss column. It just comes down to the next time a team comes in on Sunday night and plays a game in Cleveland, they'll be like, okay, well, we got Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber. But, you know, Shane Bieber's not actually probably re-signing there and – Jose Ramirez signed a team-friendly contract. And after that, well, shit, I don't even know who their third best player is. That's what it comes down to, man. No, I, I don't disagree. Like I said, I don't think either of us disagrees. Just it was a different way to look at things. Um, I just wanted to get off, the, off my chest because it was kind of annoying. And... You're right. It doesn't come to competitiveness. I think it comes – I mean, I think it just comes down to uh, what you would call a versus. It's competitiveness versus reputation. And I don't think the reputation is high. And I don't think you would disagree with me on that. No, I absolutely agree. But I also don't think that the reputation was great even when Lindor was here. But you're right, probably that had to do with with years past and, and knowing that impending doom was probably coming at the end of the day. And, That's the hard part, man. What, you know, so, and I know we, I don't want to end it on a bad note. We'll talk about one more quick thing before we get off, but name one player who we've watched here for a long time, who's had, or just re- literally retired here said, I'm retiring as a Cleveland Indian. I signed a two year contract. <laughs> Dead <laughs> silence, man. That's my whole, yeah, point. I don't know. It doesn't happen, know. man. You don't have that hometown guy. They all end up free agents or traded. So uh, it. I, I don't know if it's any different than any. I mean, outside of like, I don't know, guys just don't spend their whole career in one, in one team anymore. 100%. Like, that's, that's a part of the ball game, too. But like, there's, we're, we're coming in in a, in a ability of baseball uh, where 25 ish teams are signing their star players to 10 year contracts. Guess what, man? They're staying there most likely. Those contracts are stuck. Bryce Harper ain't going anywhere. Tatis isn't going anywhere. Machado's not going anywhere. Mike uh, Trout is. Yeah, but Har- Harper, Harper, and Machado are on their second team. I know they are, but they're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. Hmm. I don't know. I still know that. I mean, there's the chance. I mean, shoot, Albert Pujol signed his second contract with the Angels. That's unmovable. Stay with Nicky. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't happen very often. You're right, but. I don't know. A lot of guys sign their big deal into their sec- their biggest deal with second team. So 
I don't know. It's an Indians problem as a baseball problem. Though. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a, it's a, it's a both problem. Uh, it just, you know, you have but, a casual fan who, you know, wants to go buy a jersey and they say, hey, like, you know, this jersey is going to be good for four years. It's a kind of unfortunate world of circumstances we live in in Major League Baseball with the smaller markets, but we're living that nightmare sometimes. We really are because, like, I have three Francisco Lindor jerseys upstairs right now. Yeah, I, I can't even tell you the the ones I have. It's yeah. So back to back to back to regular baseball. baseball. Yeah, I mean we still love baseball. 100%. I mean, baseball. It's one of those relationships where they feel like they don't treat you well, but you love them anyway. I don't know. It's like family. If Bramwell Reyes will hit thirty two home runs this year, I'll end it on a high note. That sounds fun. He looks terrible in spring training. I, I watched his at bats today, and he looked bad. It was so. a haircut. Yeah, he got a bad That's haircut. What That's what it is. That's what it is. He wore a mask. He... Blame it on the haircut. Yeah, blame it on the haircut. All right, well, after our lovely conversation, we know you still love baseballs, too. So go to IBI.com or IBI. Go to IndiansBaseballInsider.com and – Check out all of our prospect scouting reports. We're all midway through the 30s, as I mentioned before. Check out the daily player previews. If you're listening to this on Wednesday night, uh, Thursday's player preview is Phil Maton. I'm excited to write about Phil Maton uh, because I'm a nerd and I like writing about middle relievers who throw awesome high-spin breaking balls. Uh, be sure to check out Arthur's daily recap of uh, action from prospects in spring training. So you can also not rely on spring training stats. You can sound smarter with your friends when you talk about baseball. Anything else you want to plug before we get out of here, Spencer? Oh, uh, yeah, I'll probably be doing the uh, player preview for Austin Hedges here pretty soon, just getting closer to opening day. I uh, think I'm probably going to write a nice opening day piece to get everybody optimistic about the season and, you know, basically what we talk about, our love for baseball. So I think I have that written up in the Google Docs somewhere. I'm pretty still excited about the season. This team would be pretty solid. And, you know, there's a couple bad teams in the division, so we'd probably beat up on them. So pretty excited, man. You know, it's 71 degrees outside today, so I hope everyone just has – yeah, I hope everyone day. just has a good day and uh, gets excited to see some home runs and some fans back in the stands. I think that's about it. Well, we'll find out what happens the rest of spring training. We'll get back to you next week with more position battles and more talk about spring training stats. Thank you for listening. If you listen this long, we will catch you next week.